Welcome to the Com Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome um, to the very special edition of Com Surgery, uh, which is our PIO designation. I'm really excited about this. My name is Christine Townsend. For those of you who don't know me, I am the founder of PIO Toolkit. I'm in Austin, Texas, um, and the reason I am excited about this uh, Com Surgery, particularly, is because I'm very passionate about um, the professionalisation of the uh, you know, comms pros, making sure that everyone gets the support and recognition that they deserve. This is a great way to do that. Now, I'm not going to be talking about it because I'm not the one that's done the most amazing um, work around it, but I've got some people that have, um, and the, the work that has gone into it is phenomenal. Um, so I encourage you to ask the questions that you have, um, put them in the chat below. Uh, we will be recording, we are recording this, we will make sure it's available online, and also we will pull out all the questions from the session make sure they're available on our web page as well so if you miss anything or if there aren't any questions that get answered in this session we'll make sure they are um, pulled together and we start building out an FAQ because it's, it's really useful and this will be the first of a number of um, webinars about this subject hopefully so um, as I say please ask your questions so I am really pleased to have with me Ashley McDonald, Mike Heans and Brian Goss. Now I'm going to ask Ashley to introduce herself. Okay, Ashley, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure, and I apologize for the technical difficulties that I'm having on my end. Um, wish I could um, be on camera for everybody, but it's a terrible angle because I'm on my phone. Um, so it's very unfortunate, but it actually may be fortunate for you all. I don't know, depending upon how you look at it. Um, but I, as um, Christine said, I'm Ashley McDonald. I spent 15 and a half years in the public sector, a great portion of that as a public information officer, and have recently transitioned into the private sector um, in a PR role. I am still dabbling in the public information officer realm, though, for the Tennessee Fire Chiefs Association. I serve as their mutual aid PIO and then also serve as a commissioner on the Commission for Professional Credentialing through CPSE as the public information officer representative. And now I'll let Mike introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Mike Higgins. I spent uh, about 37 years in the fire service and uh, started working with CPSE back last March. I'm the credentialing program manager and very happy to be here. Uh, we'll answer, uh, hopefully answer a lot of questions. And if anybody, I mean, this, I think this program that Ashley and Christine, when they were on the technical working group, did a phenomenal job and Brian as well. Um, so looking forward to it. Thank you, Mike. Um, Brian, would you like to introduce yourself? We're glad to have you here as well. Yeah, my name is Brian Goss. I'm the uh, fire chief in the Brentwood, Tennessee Fire Department, just south of Nashville. And I was brought into this process uh, by Ashley as part of the technical working group, uh, ended up working on eligibility for the uh, for the designation. And my experience with CPSE and the Commission on Professional Credentialing goes back to 2005. We have incorporated credentialing at every level within our organization. And I'm just a huge proponent of uh, professional development of third party 
review and assessment and uh, happy to be here. Thank you, Brian. Now, um, I just want to briefly touch on uh, my involvement in this, which was very small, but um, as you all know, I am not from the US, um, but I wanted to make sure that um, there was an international element to this because when I came from the UK, all the experience, some 20 years I had as a comms person um, in public safety and government um, didn't really count for anything when I was starting to apply for jobs, um, which is why I didn't get any and which is why I started PIO Toolkit. So everything worked out well in the end, but it, that made me think there will be people that uh, have a great amount of um, experience that come from other countries and also want to go to other countries with their skills. So I wanted to give some advice on how that those skills could be transferable and recognised here. But uh, enough about me. Um, we will talk about um, the, the aspect of, you know, if you're not yet uh, ready to go through the process, but we're going to move on to that later. But I'd just like Ashley to um, sort of explain how the designation came about, please. Yes, thank you, Christine. So back in 2020, if anybody can remember that time period, because nothing significant really happened back then, um, <laughs> we actually started some PIO support phone calls. Um, Tom Olshansky, I'm not sure if he's on this um, this webinar. I saw that he had um, said that he was going to attend, but he actually facilitated that um, through the um, through FEMA. So the master PIOs, the advanced PIOs, we would all get together once a week and just basically talk about the challenges that we all were experiencing during 2020. And you could see it on a lot of the faces that they were really, if they weren't already, they were very close to burnout. Um, there were a lot of departments that were actually letting their PIO position go because they figured um, that it was a, an expense that at that time they didn't have to, that they didn't need to incur. Um, so there was an issue there with the way that in some agencies the PIO position was valued. And you could also see that these PIOs were starting to take that on um, personally. And so the conversation then began, you know, what can we do to bring value not only to to the agency heads to show the value of this position and the hard work and the training and education and experience that goes into that but what can we do to boost our spirits as PIOs as well and give us that intrinsic benefit um, and so we started talking about the cr credentialing and we went about this several different ways um, you know in in the brainstorming phases but ultimately we started a focus group that had about 10 people and they were from varying um, disciplines and, and backgrounds and experiences. And I sort of led it because I was actually serving in my second term as president of National Information Officers Association at the time. And we we tossed around the ideas of maybe, you know, NIOA actually creating the criteria and hosting the credential. But that would have just been you know, a lot of legwork. <laughs> and we talk a lot in public safety and, and in government about let's don't reinvent the wheel if something's working. You know, why, you know, go back to the drawing board. And so we talked about the UAB who hosts the APR, which is for PR professionals. We talked about um, just a few other programs. But then I started thinking, okay, the Center for Public Safety Excellence. 
Um, I had experience with their uh, with the organization through our fire department getting accredited or going the accreditation process, but also knew that Chief Goss, as he mentioned, um, he was our Tennessee Consortium president at the time, our chairperson, and I reached out to him and I said, hey, this is what we've got going on. This is what we'd like to do. Do you think that CPSC would be interested in hosting the PIO designation? And he said, quite honestly, I'm not sure. They haven't really, you know, added um, any designations like in nearly a decade. And also it's, you know, they've historically been, um, you know, they've, they've historically represented fire service and emergency services. But he connected me with the right people. And um, Debbie Sabatka, who is their chief operating officer. And then also at the time, Rick Mason, who was over their CPC program. That's the Commission on Professional Credentialing. I reached out to them and had an initial phone call and um, they were interested and they said, you know, this this sounds good, but what we need you to do is create a proposal and here are the components that you need. We want to know what the imaginative market is or the imaginable market and the achievable market. So we want to know in theory how many people would be interested in this and then, you know, we want to find out you know, more accurately how many right now are interested in that. We also want to pinpoint the national standards that we could write the technical competencies to. Um, so the focus group, you know, we were excited because now we had an opportunity. We may um, we may uh, finally get get somewhere with this. And so we worked really, really hard and diligently. The team worked so hard to get those items together. We created a survey. It went out to various communicator groups and the master PIO groups, advanced PIO groups. Some of you on the call may have even participated in that back in 2020. And uh, and if you did, we appreciate that. But we had almost 800 um, participants in that survey and a resounding like 590 something of them said, yes, you know, if this does come to fruition, please contact me um, because I'm very interested. So we had that to take back to them. We had letters of support, even though we weren't asked to do that. We had a lot of letters of support, National Information Officers Association, the Florida Association of PIOs. Um, there were some large municipality groups that also supported that. And um, so we were just very fortunate in that. We um, sent out that proposal um, and it's when it was finally completed, we sent that out in October of 2020. And with the way that COVID sort of shut everything down, the Center for Public Safety Excellence Commission wasn't meeting in person, but they chose to take this proposal to their first in-person meeting, which occurred in 2021. And they passed it unanimously. It went then to the board of directors and they also passed it unanimously in December of 2021 and we began the program development work um, in early 2022 so that's where you see christine come in the picture mike took over for rick mason um, took over in that position rick retired and then i believe rich merrill may also be on the call he was the program manager and we had a good core group of people that were really working hard to get this to come to fruition to launch it in november of 2022 that's amazing. Thank you. And um, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> there was a lot of work that went into it. I know that for sure. And um, we've already had a, a great question, but I, I sort of want to 
thank you, Ashley, for, for giving us that really good background. Um, perhaps, Mike, if you could um, talk about what is credentialing and why is it important? Because I think when you explain that, um, I can go into a question from John. Sure. So the credentialing program is basically an individual uh, sends in information about their knowledge, skills, and abilities, uh, the roles they've played, their education, professional um, development. Um, it also uh, puts people into that role of having uh, the recognition of being a designated individual uh, there, to my knowledge, and I think it's, uh, Ashley can uh, attest to this, there's no other professional designation for a public information officer. And to have this credential for those individuals who provide such a vital role in every aspect of what we do in the world today. It's not a fire specific or firefighter, EMS, public serve, you know, public safety process. It is everyone. Um, it, we, we've designated individuals from general governments. We've uh, designated from private sector, people who are contractors. So, you know, it's, it's out there. I believe we have um, 23 designees at this point and probably I would say 80% of them are not in the fire service. So that just goes to show you that it's, it's, it is valuable for, for those individuals to go through the process. So really the reason why you, you look at it, it's, it's a quality and quality assurance program for yourself. Um, it promotes the accountability and continuous improvement of, of what you do. Um, it's a professional development model. You can, take all of your information you have and where you see yourself fall short in, that's where you uh, add a little more areas of taking more different classes or just different things like that. It can also help with career advancement. Uh, if you, people look at your credentials when, when you're, when you're looking for a job and to, ha to have a professional designation, that is something that is um, a valuable that plays a good role. So really what we're looking at is, you know, providing individuals with the opportunities for personal and professional growth. So I think that's really what's, you know, what's credentialing and why it's important. That's fantastic. Thank you, Mike. And I think you, you've, it's really important to you um, talk about that point if it isn't just public safety PIOs and I think there is a, a bit of a culture of you know other PIOs in different areas feeling a bit left in the cold when it comes to training opportunities and career progression and you know if we're really taking on the the, the real um, benefits of multi-agency working we should all be on a level playing field um, and I know that I've gone into different roles that aren't public safety and just not had a clue what I'm doing um, and having that that framework um, for what do I need next you know it's that that guidance it really helps you kind of um, commit to progression like you say and I think everyone should have that opportunity um, because you know there's a there's a whole wealth of you know evidence that shows that you know when it comes to an emergency 
it's not just police fire um you know that, that deal with it we're looking at schools we're looking at healthcare. we're looking at you know water and for everyone so um this is really really important um and so on that um this is we've touched on who's eligible but actually i'd like you to broaden out on that if you can and then we'll we will get to john's uh, question um, around it right so it's um as mike sort of alluded to it's any full or part-time or even contracted um, public information officer um, in government and quasi-government areas, but also can be private sectors, such as, let's say, like hospital. I, I love using the example of Disney World has their own PIO, and so the, the PIO of Disney World could also apply for this, and we hope that they do. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a direct request um, in this webinar for them to do that, so I can say, hey, we even have the PIO from Disney. Um, but so the, the great thing about this, the unique thing about this is that civilians can now apply and that it's multidiscipline. It's not just, um, you know, tailored to, like they said, specifically public safety. And I think we still have some work to do as far as the awareness goes, the awareness piece, because when people see that name Center for Public Safety Excellence, that tends to, to make them think that it's limited to just that discipline and, it, and it's not. Um, there are two, I'll sort of touch on this, and then if either Chief Goss or, or, or Mike want to chime in, there are two different pathways to eligibility. And I think this may also answer John's question that he asked. Um, I'm just going to read it real quick so everybody sort of has that perspective. But um, does FEMA EMI recognize the CPSE and where does it fit within the various PIO classes and levels of instructions? So it's kind of the opposite, John. Um, we we looked at all of these courses that are currently being offered um, through through FEMA, their PIO um, sort of academy. Um, then we also looked at FBI LIDA, and there's some other ones that we're looking at pretty hef heavily. There's a Defense School of Information Communication School. There's also um, a, a pretty brand new one that was actually being created simultaneously as we were developing this program, um, but that's through the University of Tennessee. Um, but those are sort of how we created our eligibility criteria. Um, there are two different pathways, and one of them is a category A, which is more like you're combining your experience, your level of education, your, uh, you know, whether or not you've completed the master PIO program through either FBI LIDA or FEMA or both. Um, and then there's also the, um, the category B, which you still have to, um, you know, you still have to make check off some of those boxes, but also you write to technical competencies. So there are a couple of different ways and we'll, we'll give you, um, we'll give you a pathway to get to the application so you can pull it up and look at the specifics because I don't know if we'll have time to talk about that on the call. Um, but it really is, if you are, if you are going to be a career PIO, you know, for sure, this is something that you want to pursue, or if you have been a career PIO and you're, you're thinking, man, I really, you know, would like to apply for this because this is, this really does sort of, this is a third party, um, you know, certification that I, and I have achieved all of these things in my career. Um, so really, John, the 
certificate is only a component of the credential. So whether that's the master PIO or any of the other courses that are directly related to the position, um, it's just one component because then you also have your professional affiliations. You have, if you're going category B to write to those technical competencies, you um, talk about your community outreach, your community, um, I'm sorry, I'm, community, um, help me out here, Mike. Involvement. Involvement, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you have to also write your developmental goals. Um, so really those certifications just serve as like one piece of the credentialing puzzle. And then you, you know, the credential is that third party verification uh, that you have achieved all of those things. Thanks, Ashley. Actually, um, Jody's um, Donaldson has touched on what you just mentioned around the development goals. Can you um, explain a little more or maybe Michael Bryan around um, what you're looking for in development goals section? Yeah, I'm going to let Mike or Brian take that one. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> you're you're a, you're a peer reviewer, so you know a lot a lot about having to do that. So uh, does he need development goals? Yes. Yeah, that that's basically a documentation of how you anticipate to continue to further your career. Uh, one of the one of the prime components of credentialing, which makes it different than most certificates, is that it's an ongoing process. You have to redesignate every every three years. So once you've achieved designation through a combination of your experience, your training, your education, and demonstrating a, a credible background in the area of PIO or whatever designation you're going for, um, you have to continue that process. And, and the goals that you develop outline how you plan to do that and, and um, how they relate to the position of PIO to the greater um, public safety or communication world and and it kind of gives you a template for moving forward as you continue to plan your ongoing professional development and career advancement That's yeah great. so thank you so really the for the pio there are three uh developmental goals one is accountability the other is response policies and the other is public education uh, so these components were based off of the firefighter life safety initiatives. But as we were going through this process, we, we said, look, this is these some most of these people are not going to be firefighters or, or EMS people or whatever. So they're not going to really understand what that specifically means. So in the application, we have the um, link to those initiatives. Plus, we have several other links that apply to specifically PIO in those areas. So you just don't have to go off the cuff and say, I don't really know what they're talking about. So really that process, like Brian said, it's about what are you going to do in accountability to move the profession forward and, and the other two as well. So that's, that's just, I just want to put it out there, how it actually transpired and what those actually were. There's three of them. So, and as far as writing to them, uh, you know, a couple of paragraphs is plenty, but if you, want to do a lot, then you can write more. Um, so, in, and it's all about I, you know, you have to write I a whole lot in the, the developmental goals because it's about what you're going to do. 
Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, we've had uh, a couple of people ask a similar question. So around what you're doing to let people know about all of this that aren't PIOs, so the people that would support PIOs or need to have a greater awareness uh, of this, um, because if people like police chiefs or emergency managers or the, you know don't know about it, it kind of doesn't have any teeth, uh, as it were. So what's being done to raise awareness outside of the PIO world? So I'll just take like a portion of that. And then if, if Mike or anybody else wants to expand on it. Um, so within the fire service, it's pretty much um, the Center for Public Safety Excellence is pretty well known within the fire service itself. But outside of that, yes, we do still have some awareness to complete. Um, I think, you know, because this is so new and it's the first time that CPSC has expanded uh, its horizons beyond that first um that beyond the fire department and emergency services that, you know, there's also some, um, you know, some, some creative ways that we have to get this to the masses. Um, something that um, I can say that we're doing is like what we're doing right now. So, you know, Christine mentioned that we're going to have multiple webinars that, you know, kind of are on this track. And I envision that one of them could even be, you know, maybe you invite your leadership to an informational meeting so that they can find out, you know, what the value of this is, what this exactly means. Um, we also, Christine and, I, um, and CPC have um, partnered up to um, have some postcards at different conferences and things. And yes, a lot of those will be communicator conferences, but also I can envision us, you know, maybe going to like your um, city manager and county manager um, those types of conferences and and through National Information Officers Association also has um, touch points with some of the other um, communicator groups that are more specific to law enforcement um, and other disciplines. And so I think there could be like a lot of um, cross education here um, in various platforms. And you know what? We are very open to hearing any suggestions that you all might have for us to reach out to your uh, leadership. Yeah, and, and I'll follow up on that. Based off of the initial um, offering when Ashley and her group were petitioning to get the designation, I think it was over 800 individuals they surveyed. Um, and then I think it probably a couple months ago, if some of you may be on the call, that um, I went down the list, took the ones that said they were they were interested in the designation and sent the information out and you know if they wanted to know more about it here's the link to be able to download the application if you have questions just email that type of thing so that was a broad group it was over it was close to 600 people that we sent it to so hopefully that reached uh, quite a few folks and so yeah we there are other ways to do it and i would like ashley said i'd be i'd We'll take any suggestion uh, to go forward to try to uh, get the information out. Yes. And and honestly, if it's something, I'm, I'm sorry, Christine, I didn't mean to interrupt no. you, but, um, you know, if it's something that you personally are having, you know, a hard time reaching leadership, I mean, I don't see that it's beyond our, you know, that we, that we wouldn't actually, you know, contact your leadership or be going to, either a Zoom call with them with you um, and sort of present the CPC uh, model, 
or to even write some type of le informative letter. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you personally are having an issue with conveying how, you know, how this is important, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we are willing to help any way we can. And Thank I think you. too, there's, there's, there is another option there that um, Ashley is like the superhero of marketing for PIO. She's, she's so busy doing a bunch of things for us. Um, I think she's going to be writing some articles for one of the fire service magazines. Uh, and I think it would be beneficial if there were other organizations that had that type of ability to send information out that we could tap into that as well as to put it out there in their uh, material that, so that it does get out to the masses. Great. Thank you, Mike. Um, and I think we'll at PO Toolkit will be doing a lot of work around uh, the raising awareness of it because um, we obviously attend a lot of conferences as well. So um, I think it's a, a, a continued effort and also word of mouth. Uh, so if anyone um, you know, knows of people that know of people that could help us uh, do this, then of course do get in touch um, with any of us. Um, every little bit helps for sure. Um, so I have a question around, um, bear with me, sorry, it's, it's more of a, a practical one that uh, Jodie was asking um, around, some, um, Jodie was being asked if they can be electronically signed by the person or do you have he, to print he's out talking about the letter. Thing? the three letters of recommendation I'm, I'm pretty certain that's what he's talking about okay. we are in the process of automating like fully automating our um application process but mike i'll let you answer that one he's asking if the um the letters of recommendation can be signed electronically yes they can uh short answer yes uh it's just you know just we need to make sure that when it is electronically signed that it has the date and the time that that type of electronic signature um, so yeah, it's, that's fine. And it can be a copy. It doesn't have to be an original. Um, all of our applications when they're downloaded are in PDF format anyway. So, you know, it, that electronic signature is going to be fine. That's great. Thank you. Um, I would like to talk a bit more about, um, if you're not currently eligible, um, in terms of career progression, why should you get started now because you can you can actually go ahead and download the application can't you so um do you want to explain you know why you can still go ahead and do it even if you're not uh, sure. eligible i'd like to take that if you don't mind yep. um i do that in my own organization uh, we have we have the fire officer designation which is one of the other designations offered through the cpse and um when i promote a new officer or even some officer seeking promotion it's just part of our natural uh, professional development process to get them to download the application because inherently we gravitate toward those specific topics or subject matters within our area of expertise that we enjoy, that we like, whether that's for the fire service from that perspective, whether it's hazardous materials, whether it's public education or what it is. And in that process, we tend to neglect some of the other things that make us a well-rounded individual. So the, the reason that I have my folks download that application very early on, even though I know they won't qualify for some time, is to look at those technical competencies, start documenting their training and experience and identify those areas where they're short. And then as they move forward over the next one to three years, whether it's through uh, online training, local training, uh, national conferences, whatever it is, 
they can target those subject matters throughout those various uh, delivery methods to help fill those voids. So really, in addition to being a credentialing application, it's also a professional development framework and plan that you can begin to, to identify those areas. One common area that we find among young fire officers, there's, there's a human resources component. They just haven't been exposed to that very often. Uh, but you look, for instance, at FDIC or Fire Rescue International conferences, they have a human resources track. So that, that helps them identify, yeah, I really need to, to bolster myself in this area. So for us, it's, it's, a, it's a development framework as much as a credentialing application. And I'm going to over, oversimplify that, Chief, because I stole this from this, um, the Excellence Conference in February. One of our CPC commissioners, Grant Tinker, said, don't think of it as just an app. You can also think of it as a map. So I'm going to forever use that. It's, it, it is, like you said, like a, a developmental roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the thing that I like about that is um, I've had many a, a moment where I've sat there and thought, well, I, haven't, I know I did it, but I haven't got the evidence. Where's the evidence? And you spend all night and day trying to get fill in the last few gaps. You know, if only I had saved that press release or, you know, anything like that. So I think when it's almost like a, a challenge to get this in front of you because you can say, well, I'm going to get that. And if, if you'd be surprised at how easy it is once you think about it to get the opportunities, because you may look at it in the first instance and be like, well, that wouldn't happen in my job or, you know, I, I you, how am I going to get that ticked off? It's, you know, it's just a, to me, it's a it's a, a checklist um, that you just work through, get creative about how you need to seek out those opportunities and and, uh, and really use it as, like you say, um, Chief Goss, a, a framework. And also what is wonderful is that you can look back and go, actually, I am more accomplished than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. I think PIOs suffer a little from not thinking they don't they know what they're doing. There, there's a lot of um, imposter syndrome uh, that I've experienced amongst PIOs. And so when you have it there in black and white in front of you, it gives you that confidence to apply for jobs that maybe you wouldn't have done so before. So um, coming from a policing background, evidence is everything. If it, if it wasn't written down, it didn't happen. So get writing uh, is what I'll say to that. So um, we have a question from Aaron. I'm not sure who would be best to answer this, but um, how did you settle on the cost for this? Settle on the cost. I'll answer that question. Um, <laughs> so just recently, as of uh, April 1st, the cost went up um, $20. It was $375. That's the first time that the any of our designations for new have went up in almost 20 years. So it's been the same cost for, I think it's been 18 years. And so I went through and, and our commission asked me to do a, you know, okay, what's the comparison of what the cost would be for today? And so I did that analysis, went through, you know, online and put the numbers in and really the application, if we did it in today's dollars based off of what it was back then, it should be about eight or $900. Uh, so, but if you do think about it, the 395 is over a, because the designation is good for three years. And so it's used, it's roughly about 38 to 39 cents a day. If you think about it, you kind of break it down into smaller terms. Our redesignation fee hasn't changed. Uh, it's still 325. So every three years you pay 325 for to, to renew. 
um, fill out a renewal application. But it's I, that initial price was before I came in, and it was it was the same fee whenever I received my designation, my first one back in two thousand seven. So uh, that's great. I mean, Thank it, you. You know, so that's where it's at. There's really no, I guess, scientific method on why it was done that way. But uh, it is probably the most inexpensive designation or credential you can get, more mm -hmm. than likely. When you consider the benefits of it, it's actually right. yes. a, a small investment for a massive return um, in terms of career progression, I, I would say. Um, so what I want to know about, um, because... I've been in this world for 20 some years. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's like, well, I don't really need it. Do I, do I, shouldn't I just fill out a resume and just give them that? What, why, what would you tell someone like me who's been around a bit um, to, to, you know, convince me to do it? Ashley, you want to take that? <laughs> So I will just say, you know, for, from personal experience, um, you know, a resume doesn't have, a resume is not all inclusive. Um, and really you want to keep your resume, um, you know, to what you're always told one or two pages. I don't know if that's still the norm, but <laughs> back when I was in college, that's what they would say. But um, I think this gives an opportunity to highlight you know, you can put anything on paper, basically, um, yourself. But if you have this third-party verification of everything that you've done in your PIO, PIO career up to this point, your professional contributions, your um, professional um, uh, affiliations, your cert, um, certifications, your training, your experience, your all of these things, um, you know, that really speaks to, I'm not just talking about myself here, somebody else appear in the field, you know, validated that everything that I have just told you is, is correct, is, is true. Um, and so I think, again, like anybody can put anything on a resume. And I mean, I guess technically anybody could put anything on, you know, their application as well, but there is going to be that peer review there is it's going to be looked at heavily it's not just going to be taken at face value yeah that's a really good point Ashley actually because I mean it's unlikely although I do see some lovely jobs out there occasionally at airports um but it's unlikely that I would actually become a PIO again however um it also lends credence to things like speakers and trainers um you know I have to prove my worth and my value and my, my experience to be able to speak and give training um, nationally and internationally. So to have this is almost like a shortcut uh, to say, yep, you know, she's legit. She knows what she's talking about is, is incredibly powerful. So I am still going to do it. Um, you know, I think I think it's not just career and getting a good getting a job. There, there's so much here as well. You know, if you want to be a lecturer, for example, um, in comms, uh, I think this is an, an excellent way to prove that you you know you know your stuff. So um, Rhonda asks a, a question around application coaching, um, and is it available? Um, would someone like to speak to that for me? Yeah, I will. Uh, sure. Yeah, we uh, we have a, a cadre of peer reviewers. Uh, there's probably as far as PIO peer reviewers. 
maybe a dozen. And all you have to do is ask me, hey, look, is there someone that can help me through this process? Because when you download the application and you open it up, you go, oh, my gosh, this is a lot. Uh, I really don't know what I need. You know, where do I start? How do I make sure I put the right information in? And it goes through uh, without much um, input from the peer reviewers. You would like to have a phone call from the peer reviewer saying, hey, your application is awesome. Really, it's really great. I don't have any questions. Um, but you may get some to just say, hey, well, you know, they may ask you something about your Disney goals on why you wrote something. But, um, yeah, we, we offer mentors. It doesn't cost anything. And these, these folks are volunteers. They don't get paid. And they'll work with you however long uh, that the peer reviewer sets up a time frame and says, look, we'll work on this application. We'll go through it. Most of them will stick with you until you submit your application. And a lot of times the individual that's mentoring you will probably do your peer review as well. That's because they went through your application. They know what it is and they know it's right. So when you go through, it usually doesn't have to be handed off to anyone else. That one person will probably, or two people will uh, do your peer review as well. So, man, you get a lot of feedback from those individuals because they are, they've been designated and they know what the process is like. Thank you, Mike. And I'll just I'll just tack on to that real quick, Christine. I'm you know if I, I'm willing also to help anybody if you ha if you haven't gone all the way through the process yet to get to that peer review point, um, you know, and you just have some basic questions or anything like that, Christine can share my contact information, um, and I'm willing to to help answer some of those basic questions too. And I'll probably um, get in trouble for mentioning this, but Ashley and I have um, spoken very casually about mentoring um, or me at PIO Toolkit setting up a mentoring um, program unrelated to this, but kind of related as well. So that there is going to be support somehow. I don't quite know what it looks like yet, but um, there are people there who will definitely be available to to support anyone through this. So. Um, sorry, Ashley, I've just dropped you in it there, but um... no, it's okay. <laughs> well, and when you go on the website too, um, you know, you could you can see the the current list of designated PIOs is there. I encourage you if there's one in your area because it also lists where the the person is from, what what area. I would encourage you to try to maybe seek out that person because a you should probably be knowing them anyway because they're in your they're they're close to you, um, but also they can help you walk through the process. Great. Thank you, Ashley. Um, if we've got any more questions, put them in there. But what I would like to do, um, we'll probably wrap up soon. I don't want to um, keep people for the sake of keeping them. But perhaps each one of you could just um, give us a summary of, you know, what what it is that, you know, that, like why should I know we kind of touched on it, really. But what, what is it that gets you going about being involved in this? Um, have you enjoyed the process? Because it's been tough. There's been a lot to do. But perhaps, Brian, if you want to give us your kind of like impassioned um, explanation, if you can, as a firefighter, obviously. Sure. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of the areas that everybody that I encounter within my industry is looking for is career pipelines, career pathways, career roadmaps. What, do I, what can I do to achieve the next level? What can I do to improve myself? Um, is there some sort of plan? And when I... When we adopted this as our fire department's 
professional development framework. And we did the same thing statewide through the Tennessee Fire Chiefs as well. When I was the, the commission of the uh, accreditation and credentialing consortium um, was, again, what Ashley referred to as is not reinventing the wheel. This is not only a structured method, but it is an internationally recognized and accepted and proven credible structured method. So wh why would I go back and try to develop something different than what's already been demonstrated as being as being credible and professional? So um, anything I can do to give my people something solid for them to look at and say, what do I need to, to do to make myself a more well-rounded individual, no matter what your area of expertise is, whether it's as a fire marshal or a PIO or whatever it happens to be, anytime I can do that with something that exists and I don't have to go back into create something, that for me is a win-win is a for everybody. So uh, I'm enthused. We have the largest number of designated uh, officers at various levels in the state of Tennessee. I take great pride in that. My city manager, my city commission takes great pride in that. So you're not just demonstrating it to yourselves or potential employees, but you're demonstrating that to your peers, your community, your supervisors, and everyone else you may encounter and may be, um, may report to or, or, or work under that you have accomplished the highest level of, of demonstrating your competency that, that really exists in our industry and, and continue to do so, like Mike said, every three years with that renewal. So you're always encouraged to pursue that next level, that next opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Carson. Thank you for everything you've done and, and uh, showing up today and, and helping us um, understand this a little more. And hopefully that's encouraging people um, to get on with it. Um, Mike, do you have anything you'd like to, to add to it that we've said? Well, uh, just, you know, either my contact information is you can put it in the chat or whenever it comes out. Anyone willing to or wanting to reach out to me, I'll, I'm more than willing to talk to you or email back and forth, whichever the individual is most comfortable with. Uh, I answer questions daily about credentialing. Uh, so I, I really, you know, back in the day when I was a firefighter and, and a chief, and a deputy chief in a department, it was. Um, it was one of those things that I wanted to try to do to see where I was at in my career. Um, I ended up getting three designations based off of the experiences that I had. Um, one of the jobs that I wouldn't want to do was PIO. I, I don't think I could do that job. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It takes special individuals to do that job. And I think, you know, the designation is uh, important. And it's beneficial for those individuals when they're standing in front of a, a crowd of individuals and the, they, knowing that they have the competence and the knowledge and the abilities that's been verified and validated by uh, other individuals in their profession, showing that that just says, okay, look, this individual is is squared away and they know what they're talking about. Um, so the designation is, is really, I think, important for PIOs uh, just on the just on the aspect of, um, of, of the credibility part. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, the, the work that goes into being a PIO is just um, often completely 
misunderstood and not given the credit it deserves. So um, this will contribute to sort of making um, people aware of how tough it really can be. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, Ashley, do you have any final final words of wisdom for us all? I don't know if these are wise words because they're coming from my mouth, but what I can yeah. tell you is, <laughs> um, you know, oftentimes there's a misconception that a public information officer is simply a spokesperson or the voice of an agency. It is so much more than that. As you mentioned, Christine, there is a lot of hard work and training that goes into this. And, you know, oftentimes we're not the ones on the camera, you know, we're prepping other people um, to be on camera. We are social media administrators. We are um, community relations professionals. There's so much that goes into being a public information officer that just simply people don't under have an understanding of. And, you know, really PIOs are some of the hardest working individuals. Um, this gives us an opportunity to put that on paper, um, but not that we're tooting our own horn. Somebody else is, you know, verifying that what, you know, the work that we've done, you know, that it's accurate and, and it's, you know, it is like, I would rather somebody else tell you how great I am than for me to tell you how great I am, because it just simply, number one, sounds a lot better. And it's, and it's, it's humbling. It's, it's very humbling to see all that you've accomplished there on that paper and have somebody to verify that and then be able to take that out to, like Chief Goss said, your community, your leadership, all of those things. Um, it's just very meaningful. And again, you know, the reason why we started um, this in the beginning was to, yes, bring that value to our agency heads to show them the hard work that we do put into being the best PIO we can be for them. But also it gives us that intrinsic value um, that we could sort of, you know, pat, silently pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we have gone through all of this and we have accomplished this and now we have something to show for it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And um I mean, I could talk about it forever, as we know. Um, however, um, I think we'll wrap it up there because um, we've covered a lot. And as I mentioned at the beginning, for those of you who weren't um, here right from the start, we will be putting a recording of this on the PIO Toolkit website. Um, we'll make sure that the, all the questions that have been asked will also be put um, on the website for you. Um, and as we have more that come in, we will um, update that page as a kind of hub really for everything to do with this. Um, and then watch the, the page and our LinkedIn updates um, about any future um, webinars. We may well be sort of focusing in on the technical step-by-step -step, um, process of it, but we'll, we'll um, look for feedback and see what we feel will be most beneficial to, to everyone in the future. So um, again, thank you, Mike, Ashley, um, Chief Goss. I really appreciate you uh, putting all the work into this and um, we will leave it there for now. So thanks everyone for, for showing up, uh, taking an interest in this and drop us a line anytime.